Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, February 28, 2020. And on today's report, I will be talking about the Democrat candidates, at least the one still allowed to stand on the debate stage. And since Bernie Sanders is apparently the front runner, my emphasis will be on him. I devoted a previous report to Mr. Sanders during his candidacy in 2016. You can find that report entitled The Democratic Socialism of Bernie Sanders on the archives of the Castle Report at 2.26.16, if you are so inclined. My own observation is that since then, the Democrat Party has morphed into something unrecognizable. Is this still the party of working people? Is it the party of JFK? No. It is now a party of wealthy elitists who sneer and look down their noses at ordinary people. I mentioned before that Mr. Sanders refuses to allow himself to be labeled a communist despite his decades-long defense of Soviet communism and of Soviet satellite states such as Cuba and Venezuela. He's not a communist, he insists, just a democratic socialist. He defines democratic socialism as the fight for justice, decency, Human dignity, it is a completion, he says, of the business of the New Deal begun by Franklin Roosevelt. Most of the other candidates refuse to denounce it since he is the leader. People must be in favor of it, therefore they must approve of it as well. Most young people seem to approve of it. And although fans once booed Santa at a Philadelphia Eagles game, what's not the like? About Santa Claus, there are many weird things about this election especially the Democrat candidates, but one of the weirdest is that the other candidates attack Mr. Sanders for not being liberal enough. In the Senate, he once voted against allowing gun manufacturers to be sued when their products are used to kill people. He was attacked for that vote, but to his credit, he owned it and said it was a bad vote. He should just stay with his first impression, but I suppose he can't really do that. You are undoubtedly aware that I am an advocate of freedom, of liberty, of free markets and capitalism, the values of freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of markets. They are all radically under attack today. Those things are why America became what it once was. They're all being washed away now. Mr. Sanders has consistently, his entire life had different values From the ones I just mentioned, he and his wife took their honeymoon in Moscow during the Cold War. They had glowing things to say about an empire that killed God only knows how many people, at least 70 million. The collective as defined by, controlled by the state rather than the individual, seems to be most important to Mr. Sanders when he was mayor of Burlington, Vermont, and only 30 years old, he made Burlington a sister city to one of the dilapidated, run-down Soviet cities. He also went to Cuba, still gives glowing reports of Castro's achievements. Castro was not all bad, you see, because he started a good literacy program. No mention of the fact that the dictator Batista already had a successful literacy program in the 1950s, or that literacy was restricted by Castro to the reading of communist propaganda. The primary thing he did not mention was the fact that tens of thousands 
of those literate Cuban citizens risked their lives trying to float to Florida, clinging to a log so they and their families might experience just one glimpse of a free country. Yes, Bernie, freedom is an alluring thing. People are willing to die trying to just get a glimpse of it. I've asked myself why this angry old man would cling to support for some of the most horrible dictatorships to ever exist in human history. I can't see any logic to his views. Perhaps it is the opposite of love for the country. It's based on hatred. Instead, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, I suppose. Maybe that's it. While senators and congress members from the left talk about the virtue of collectivism, of private property, of socialism and the dream of wage justice, people in socialist countries are rounding up what's left of their families in an effort to escape to the freedom of capitalism. In a free market, you can buy just about any product you can afford if you're willing to pay market price. Market price reflects the social cost of production. So in order to consume something, you must pay what it costs society to produce it, whatever Wherever you work, whatever you are paid, the wage you receive will reflect the social value of your contribution to the economy's output of goods and services. Under socialism, however, government rather than the market sets prices and wages most often than not. Government's number does not reflect true market value, and as a result, the system is quickly fouled up the more government tries to adjust or fix the problems the worse they get until the system is like the old Soviet joke. We're now in the 15th year of our five-year plan to restore the Soviet economy everywhere. Socialism has been tried. It's been an absolute economic disaster. It creates many things, including poverty, high taxes, shortages, low growth. The result is often rapidly increasing welfare rolls, rapidly decreasing tax rolls, my own definition of democratic socialism is simple, but it applies to all the Democrat candidates, especially Mr. Sanders. Socialism is theft of one's property and labor for the benefit of larger groups of the mob. The democratic part just means that Mr. Sanders emphasizes that the mob gets to decide for itself whose property will be stolen, what shares of the pillage each member of the new socialist mob would get, that decision would also resolve the question of whose labor would be stolen from him for the benefit of those not employed. The Democrat candidates traveled to South Carolina this week. They spent large sums of money to persuade groups of dissatisfied people to listen to them. One group of listeners might possibly be those recently out of college. Let's say that a person started to college but did not finish and now has $50,000 in student loans with no degree. Equally common would be a recent graduate of college with a virtually worthless degree working at a job that will leave her unable to pay for student loans for at least 10 years, possibly for life. She thinks, why me? Why am I singled out for this debt slavery? Then she attends a Bernie show, and she hears the magic words, i.e., you're being taken advantage of by an unfair system. Your parents are affluent. You're not. They worked hard, but see, you have all those student loans as an excuse while others are rich. It's not fair. I will do something about it if you will just give me power. Just vote to let me have power. 
Just let me have the power and your dreams will become a reality. It's a no-lose situation because you get all your dreams realized. You'll have that marvelous education for free, or at least at someone else's expense. In return, I will have what I have lusted for, dreamed of my entire life, power. I want the power to destroy, the power to destroy the system that allowed me to become a millionaire without holding a job or working a single day outside government. It's those billionaires like Mike Bloomberg that are evil, not me. I'm just a simple millionaire. Then Bernie speaks to a group of parents who are worried because they haven't saved any money for their children's education. But he says, don't worry about it. You only must give me power. I'll make it free as if by magic. Are you worried about health care? Well, don't worry because once I have the power, yes, you guessed it, it's all free. You may be dissatisfied with what you make, but once I have the power, you'll get a living wage if you choose to work. You may choose not to work, in which case you will be supported by other more productive people. How much will it cost, you ask? Don't worry about that. Just trust me. I've got it all worked out. That is the magic of socialism, especially the democratic kind, because then we all get to go vote for the pillage. The young millennials seem to be buying into this concept that they can have whatever they want if they empower someone to use the force of arms to take it from its rightful owners. They are now at least three generations from the farm where traditional American values, such as those I mentioned earlier, were formed at the turn of the 20th century. 85 to 90 percent of Americans lived on working farms where they had to work hard from daylight to dark. They were often on the edge of survival, edge of starvation in hard times. Even city dwellers depended on them, so they had it rough too. Farming is all collectivized now in Bernie fashion. The values that the farm life produced, the greatest generation kind of values, you know, they're all washed away. Now the younger generation looks favorably on the failed system called socialism. I'm not convinced that 54% of young people want to live in a socialist country or that they even know what that is. They do know that no matter how hard they work, how hard they sacrifice, they see little hope for change in their economic situation. The ones who live in the great millennial cities of the West and East Coast cannot, probably will never be able to afford a home to live in a home to call their own, to raise their families in. They see no one in authority trying to help them. So when someone comes along with easy answers, they're all in. It's a chance to finally stick it to those of us in the baby boomer generation. After all, most of us will receive more in Social Security than we paid in as we're living longer and longer. The millennials know that Social Security may not even exist for them. In other words, they probably don't even know that socialism is government control of the means of production. They don't care about that. It's armed theft of private property. They don't care about that either. They just want production and its fruits redistributed in what they consider to be more equitable fashion. My generation understood that socialism could send a nuclear missile into your city any second of the day, so its meaning is quite clear to us. Today, we no longer have that fear. So the collectivizing, i.e. the theft of private property and the redistributing of it seems pretty attractive if you have no property 
pretty scary if you do. Socialism then is presented to the younger generation as a fair and socially just solution to the problem, perhaps. They've never seen what socialism has done around the world in Eastern Europe, in Asia, in South and Central America. It seems rather to present a solution to all the bad things that have happened in the past. A great many millennials have grown up and been educated in the Orwellian memory hole that is called modern education in America. The past has been erased or rewritten to fit the politically correct present. That is very unfortunate because the last century has been erased by education. And it's a perfect laboratory in which to study socialism and what it does to people when it is forced on them. Socialism as represented as a fair and equitable and above all just society, but that is an imaginary dream. The reality in every country that has ever practiced socialism is a dismal, dirty world in which the end of private enterprise, the, pro the profit motive in private property, the government is the only employer in town, and the government changes quite often till it decides finally to not change anymore. The result of all this is a nation more divided than any time since the Civil War and electorate quickly leaning further and further to the left. Demographic changes are taking us in that direction. Since that is to the benefit of Democrat politicians, they engineer the demographic changes in their favor. The changes that may not come this cycle are nevertheless inevitable, unless there is a complete change of direction considering our educational system completely controlled by Marxist teachers and professors, that doesn't seem possible. All the wonderful ideas uh, today are being put into practice and forced on the rest of us who endeavor to remain normal. The Democrat candidates, all six of those allowed on stage, seem to be the most unpleasant people with very unpleasant personalities. They shriek, they wave their arms to be heard, they destroy each other by their finger-wagging attacks. I'm grateful. They remind us of each other's weak points, but they won't completely remind us. They stay away from Elizabeth Warren's fake Indian past as well as her self-serving lying. They don't say much about Bernie Sanders' rape fantasy article, the lurid details of which I will not mention to you. Yes, his article is out there on the Internet in case it is needed because he has about as many enemies in his own party as he does in the other. Finally, folks. They, uh, six people up on the debate stage, are not profit seekers, at least not anymore. They're power seekers, and they will do or say whatever it takes to induce the voters to give them more power. They will waste as much taxpayer money, and that is your labor, folks, as it takes for them to become more popular so they can have more power. In short, they're disgusting, reprehensible people. They should be relegated to the bottom rung of our society, not elected to lead it. At least that's the way I see it. Till next time, folks, this is Daryl Kessel. Thanks for listening.